Okay, let's go to Luke 10. Go to Luke 10. Let me give you some background. Uh, this didn't really happen during COVID. It may have started before all the COVID stuff, but uh, on my DVR at home, I started taping a show that nobody else in my family watches. So when everybody else is away from the TV, I'll, I'll dial this up and watch it. It's a 30-minute program. I don't recommend it. I'm just saying I'm watching it because it makes me laugh. You know, sometimes you just need to laugh. And uh, it's called The Neighborhood, I think. And it features um, Cedric the Entertainer. The, the, Cedric the Entertainer lives in a black neighborhood in California. And he has a guy moving to, in next door to him, um, in, in, in the house next door to him with his family. It's played by, I think the guy's name is Max Greenfield, and he couldn't be a whiter guy. He comes from, I've got a joke with my son about this. I need a joke with Bill Search about this. Um, the guy that he plays named Dave comes from Michigan, like Bill does. And, uh, and he just couldn't be more Michigan and more white. And Cedric the Entertainer is just incredible as his next door neighbor, um, Calvin, and they get into all kinds of shenanigans, trying to carve out a friendship, <laughs> a very, very unlikely friendship as neighbors. Uh, the, one of the best ones is uh, Calvin traditionally throws a big party where he, uh, he uh, smokes ribs once a year. And of course, Dave brings his own ribs. And that, anyway, just uh, Michigan ribs. And, and it, just, just, it, it, it just sets up really good. And I, I find myself watching it just to see how they're, what they're going to get into next week. Um, uh, anyway, I thought of that show this week as I began to do this study over what Jesus is teaching us on being and loving a neighbor. You know that Jesus coined the term? By the way, everybody uses this term. It's interesting. A lot of the stories that, a lot of the things that we use, a lot of our American nomenclature was given to us in the Gospels and people that don't even believe use it. Oh, you need to be a good Samaritan. You know, somebody didn't make that up pre-gospel of Luke, that came right here. Let me give you a little bit of background to this. Now, um, uh, in his gospel, Luke recounts Jesus' ministry in three sections. The first section is the events in and around Galilee. Now, that's after his birth and childhood. Uh, and then Jesus on his way uh, to Jerusalem, the second section, that's where we're going to be today. That's chapter 9 to about chapter 19. And then the events uh, of the final week in Jerusalem is the last portion from um, chapter 19 out to the end of, of chapter 24. But you, Luke's gospel is unique in this central section that we're going to be in the middle of today, which begins shortly before the story that we're going to read today. The majority of the parables found in Luke are located in this section and the first of them is the one we're going to talk about today. Okay, so this kind of section, this middle section uh, of the story of Jesus in Luke begins about chapter 9, and we're going to be right here in chapter 10. And this is the first of the, the parables that, that Luke tells. 
it's interesting, we taught last week, we studied last week that Jesus was incredibly countercultural in his teaching, certainly on love for those not like us. What do I mean by countercultural? Certainly. Everything before would have said, love your friends, watch out your, for your enemies, maybe even hate your enemies, okay? And Jesus just flips the story. He's going to do it again here um, um, as he deals with um, uh, this particular parable. Now, this parable is unique to Luke. You're not going to find it in Matthew and Mark and John. Um, but it's subject matter and setting group, similar to the text that you'll find in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12, where um, he's dealing with what the greatest commandment is and, and those kinds of things. Um, so let's get into it a little bit. I want us to start. Um, John, can I, can I prevail on you? We're going to start in Luke 10. And if you would read verse 25 down through 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay. Now, it's interesting to me, the word test here, okay, so if you look at the first part of verse 25, the word test here, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, okay? That is the same word that's used of what the devil did to Jesus in Luke 4. What was going on there? Remember that wilderness experience, 40 days um, without food and water, and the devil tempts Jesus. So that word temptation in Luke 4, probably about verse 2, is the same word that's translated here, test. Now this, this kid that comes to Jesus, maybe he's not a kid, maybe he's an older person, but um, this person who comes to Jesus um, is, I don't believe, trying to tempt him in any way, but nonetheless, he's going to offer him a test. So this was a fairly common thing done by a scribe or a person who, this was some sort of a scribe or expert in the law. Mike, I'll risk calling him a lawyer, okay? All right, I look at you when I say that. I'll risk calling him a lawyer. Um, it, and it was asked, we really believe, and, and about everybody I've read on this really believes that this guy asked the question trying to show Jesus up. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's, you know, me challenging LeBron James in a game of horse. Uh, it really is. And I'm not talking about the 17-year-old me. I'm talking about the 65-year-old me. Okay? <laughs> Why would you go after this? Well, it could be, look at the second part of verse 25. It could be, in context, when he asks, what must I do to uh, inherit eternal life? Or what must I do? It's interesting that he thinks here. There, there's some 
pharisaical implication there, that, um, that uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It may be that he's trying to draw Jesus out on whether he is more sympathetic with the Pharisee position than a Sadducee position. Okay? Now, why would I say that? Okay? Um, uh, if you know a little bit about the background between, oh, uh, Bill, we just talked about you. You know, yeah, I've had, I've had lots of people say happy birthday to me. Thanks, buddy. Sorry, guys online. Thank you so much. Do I do I look a day older than sixty-five? Because that's what I am, literally. Okay. Mine was Friday the sixteenth. Hey, you had one. Well, happy birthday, guys. <laughs> How old are you, Wayne? Sixty-eight. So, so you can. No, none. I'm seventy-four. We talked about you a while ago. I'm I'm, I'm dealing dealing with Luke ten, and I'm I'm talking about this the show, the neighborhood where the guy from Michigan moves into a black neighborhood. And he is a good guy. But he is, he is, he is the whitest guy ever. Anyway, so, but he moves next door to Cedric the Entertainer. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really good. I, I, isn't that you're from Michigan? Come on. And you are white. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, always good to see you, Pastor. <laughs> always good to see you. Now, it could be that this guy was trying to determine whether Jesus was more sympathetic or more, if, if there were two theological parties, let's say. If he was Pharisee, which, what do you know of the Pharisees? They don't believe in the resurrection. They actually do. Okay. Pharisees. Um, were kind of strict adherence to the law. And then the Sadducees, Dan, I'm going to give you a way to remember it. The Sadducees were the ones who didn't believe in uh, life after death and resurrection of the dead, didn't believe in the supernatural. So it could be, you catch it here, that Jesus, that, uh, Jesus was being tested on. I wonder if he's more Sadducee or more Pharisee. And what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the questioner doesn't really draw himself out on that, other than he might have been a Pharisee because the context of the question is, um, I want eternal life. If he was a Sadducee, he would have never asked that question. By the way, Dan, here's, here's how to tell the difference. This is silly, okay? That, you know, it's Sadducees from the Pharisees because the Sadducees didn't believe in heaven, therefore they were sad, you see. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, you, everybody's heard that one, but... So, uh, the lawyer is supposed to test the master. What was behind his question, well, we can only guess, but that might have been part of it. Now, in verse 26, Jesus does what he often does. He answers a question with a question. I love it. That was well, very Jewish. It's certainly very Jesus. And um, it's, it's uncanny here. He often does this, and his questions are always searching ones. Now, as I was doing this study this week, it seems like the question that he asked him is not, what does the Bible say? 
What does the law say? It is, did you catch this? How do you read it? Isn't that interesting? I really find that interesting. How do you read it? Um, how do you interpret it? No. It's the only way to answer it. Anytime they say subtract, either way you answer it is wrong. They're going to twist whatever you say. Right. Else. So what's your feeling? Yeah. You're right, Todd. So, so the, how do you read it? It's interesting because I've got to be real careful here. Uh, when I'm trying to train uh, students on how to read the Bible on their own or, or um, you know, those who are not so young, now, one of the things I'll do is get them started because I really believe that you can read the Scripture for yourself, that the Holy Spirit shows up and He's going to. He's going to help you to determine what you need to know from your daily reading of the Scriptures. But often I will ask the question, okay, what's that saying to you? And I need to be careful using that question because there's truth here regardless of what, how you read it, Bill. This is eternal truth. It's unchangeable truth. It's adaptable truth to your situation. So I've got to be careful with that. But it's interesting how he asks this question. How do you interpret it? He answers the question with a, with a question and says, how do you read it? So the expert thinks he has really gotten it right. He answers with the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 5. It's clear here. He's making a reference to that. Um, Hero is the Lord, our God is one. That's 6, 4 and 6, 5. Every Jewish boy would, would memorize this. Um, um, uh, thou shalt Lord th- love the Lord thy God with all thy uh, soul and uh, might and, and heart. Okay? But he adds something to it. Now, part of this, I really don't pretend to understand because he adds the word mind. If you read uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then you read um, also... Um, uh, this passage here, he adds the word mind, and I'm not sure really what I really, I'm not, not going to really spend any time kind of thinking about that, but he adds uh, Leviticus 19, 19 18 to, uh, to this, and it becomes now kind of known to you and me, as Jesus deals with it a couple of times, in three of the Gospels at least, the great commandment. So, love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. That's a, a reference to to an Old Testament teaching in, a, interestingly, in a place like Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. You can find that reference there. So um, he adds some things, and when he answers this, Jesus answers. Look back at verse 28. Jesus says to him, and he said to him, Jesus said to him in my Bible that he is capitalized, and he answered him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. How do you think the guy felt then? Well, proud, yeah. I, I think he felt smug. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. You know, I, I really do think. And maybe I'm reading more into this than there. But given the context of a guy trying to test the smartest man who ever walked the planet, you got to know that. God in the flesh even though he probably didn't know at the time. He's got to feel pretty smug when Jesus says, you got it. You know, this is uh, Alex Trebek patting you on the back. You know I mean? Right? Now, but verse 29, in Dr. Luke's narrative, we get a needed window into the man's motive before he asks his question 
again. Look at verse 29. What was the guy's motive? Okay, first, what's, the, what's his question? His question is, okay, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It's interesting because Luke says, he gives it, we're going to look in a minute, in a minute from now in, at motive in another context, but where we can't really get the motive. But Luke gives us the motive. Jesus at some point had taught to the disciples, uh, you know, this is why the guy answered this, because he could read his heart. He was the only one walking who could read another person's heart, okay? Be careful when you try to place motive on another person. You're, that's kind of above your pay scale, okay? And you don't know. I, I've been called out for motive that I never thought about. Okay, be careful with that. But Jesus didn't have to be careful with that. And so Luke reports that his motive is, you catch this? His motive is he wants to justify himself. So he asks, who's my neighbor? Now, you got to recognize here, um, um, he lived uh, with the notion that there are some that are not neighbors. Romans. Occupying Romans. In particular, Samaritans. You know, in particular, uh, I, I, I think here, um, um, you know, let me give you some detail that you probably know. This was a little bit after my time, but in, um, in 1968, um, on um, local public TV, so here it was Channel 13 in those days, um, a Presbyterian preacher begins a television program called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It ran, it begins in 1968, runs for 895 episodes. He's dressed in a, um, in, um, a signature cardigan, cardigan sweater. He invites children to visit his neighborhood with the theme song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Okay? Uh, if you haven't seen... Uh, Tom Hanks' depiction of this, it's really, really good. It's really good. Um, so Fred Rogers had trained to be a Presbyterian minister but decides to go into television because he hated the medium of TV. Isn't that interesting? He goes right to what he hates to make it better. While children's programming typically featured animation and frantic action, Rogers labeled those features a bombardment. So he decides not to play a character, as did his contemporaries like Captain Kangaroo. I grew up on Captain Kangaroo. Soupy Sales, that was a little before my time. <laughs> but Rogers believed that being one's honest self was one of the greatest gifts one could per perhaps give to somebody else. He wasn't afraid to expand his neighborhood, including... Uh, you know the story probably by now because it's been talked about a lot in the last year in the wake of this movie coming out. You know that. He took um, a black policeman and they uh, dangled their feet together in a kid's wading pool on a hot day. You know that. He would often bring 
a paraplegic or even a quadriplegic child on the set and say, tell me how your wheelchair works. He was trying to expand his neighborhood and thereby to expand the kids' thoughts about who their neighbor is. Isn't it interesting that he's living out this question that this lawyer asked Jesus, I think. Um, had dinner with our daughter last night, and um, she has, a month ago, moved to a new house and got a new neighborhood, and, and uh, had a guy knock on her door a couple days ago, I guess, a few days ago. Um, that she'd been waving at across the street. I mean, she's just trying to meet her neighbors and some uh, single girls that live next door and a little family that lives on the other side and this guy lives across the street. And she said, every time I wave at him, he's been talking on his phone so we never get to talk. And so this guy knocks on her door and come to find out he's in some kind of business, although he didn't specify that, but he's um, a Rwandan refugee of some kind and talked about his family still in Rwanda, and he's trying to get them here. <laughs> now, i, I got to be honest with you guys. My, you know, 110-pound soap, sopping wet daughter, uh, I said, did you bother to tell him that you have in your house a pit bull and a loaded 38? Okay, I, okay just sorry. Because I'm just wanting to be safe. I want my daughter to be safe. And she's wanting to make a new neighbor. Okay? That's, that's dad life, all right? So, Luke's narrative gives us a needed window into this guy's motive. And so Jesus says, huh, let me tell you a story. John, can I come back to you and read 30 down to 35? We'll tell the story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem from Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took a city on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on the one on one. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the injured. Look after them, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This couldn't be better. Okay, so, remember the question. Okay, so who's my neighbor? Jesus says, I'll tell you a story. And he tells the perfect story. Now, remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at another story to teach us a message on love. 
Uh, it was like the week that we were talking about, sometimes love has to confront. And if you remember in, um, in 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan is tapped on the shoulder by God to go to the king, the guy who who's, is the, um, uh, the sovereign king, and call him out on his sin. And Nathan tells a perfect story then. Remember? But this may be the most perfect story of all time. Well, maybe in uh, if you, uh, Luke 15 is a pretty good story too. So, okay, prodigal son. But it's just a perfect story. And it's the first of this series of those that, that Luke is going to include in his gospel. And it really always captures our attention. So he uses a perfect story to answer the question. Uh, rabbis use this method a lot. Now, in, um, but Jesus takes it to a different level. So um, as, as we begin reading from, from uh, verse 30, where he's kind of telling the story. So in my Bible, it's where it begins in red. Jesus replied and said, and then the next paragraph or so is mostly red. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. Now, interesting, if you look at your Bible map, I'm not Terry Fake, so I didn't bring a map, okay? But if I had one, uh, I, I have a tendency to look at the back of my Bible and just say, okay, where was that? Um, uh, Jerusalem is about 21 miles or so from Jericho. Um, uh, and, but this trip from Jerusalem to Jericho is north. Wait a minute, you're going down. Are you going down there? Uh, it, it's, kind of, it's not that, actually. But it's also, okay, so Jerusalem is about, I wrote this in my notes, it's about 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is about 850 feet below sea level. So they're literally, uh, if you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you're going down, even though you're going north. Okay, That's kind of the context of that one. All right, so, um, so they're, uh, they're going there. Uh, that's where this man was going who was, who, um, and he's going, by the way, they, they say that road is a horrible road to go. Uh, just thought of a gospel song. On the Jericho Road, there's room for this too. Okay. Uh, my thought is you better have somebody with you or you're going to get robbed and maybe beaten. Yeah, All right, so. It follows the valley of the shadow of death. Kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which, further, further down, well, yeah. down the hill. Right. It's still right along the road. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, all right? So um, now, and he begins to encounter some people there after he's been hurt, okay? So we kind of know that deal. Uh, Verse 31 and 32 are going to call out a little bit. At least, Jesus, you think he's going to call out a little bit here. Uh, By chance, this is interesting, uh, the wording there. I did a little study on that one. I won't even comment on it, but it's interesting. By chance. Uh, My dad would use the word peradventure. But by chance, um, uh, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, I need some help. So, so can I get a couple of you to read? Uh, these are Old Testament references. So uh, can I get somebody to go to 2 Chronicles 13.10? Send, uh, uh, thank you, Laura, if you would do that. Leviticus 21, first four verses. Rhonda, can I get you to go there? Did you bring your Bible? Oh, you got Okay. Um, uh, can I get somebody else to read? Uh, let's see, where did I go? Numbers 5-2. Dan, you get that one? Okay. All right. 
So now, here, here we go. We're going to try to determine. We've, I have heard sermon after sermon after endless sermon about, okay, I'm, I'm going to use a slightly slang expression. What the heck was wrong with the priest and the Levite? Jesus doesn't really tell us this, guys. He doesn't really give us the motive of the priest and the Levite. He just says they go by the other side. Okay, uh, I've heard it said a lot that, okay, well, they were on their way to serve at the temple. They didn't want to be befouled. But guys, in the context of the story, this is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They've already served. Okay? Jesus totally changed everything when he came anyway. He really did. All the, the traditions and what you can touch and what you can't Sure. Well, let's, let's look at where kind of this, where they kind of get this thought. Laura, read um, 2 Chronicles 13.10. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not abandoned him. Only the descendants of Aaron serve the Lord as priests, and the Levites alone may help him in their work. Okay, so the priests are the descendants of Aaron who offered the sacrifices. So who are the Levites? They were also from the tribe of Levi, but they served with or alongside the priests. They had uh, all kinds of roles to play. Now, here's a, here's a little poem. That's not really a poem. That'll help you get this. Okay, you ready? All priests are Levites. All Levites are not priests. Okay, there's the specificity in there. All right? But they were both serving, both called to serve the temple um, for, as their role in life. Uh, okay, Rhonda, read the first four verses of uh, Leviticus 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, father, son, daughter, brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband. So if it's somebody outside your family, you can't be around a dead person and serve. Okay, in fact, you'll have to go through quarantine. That kind of deal. All right. Uh, one more, Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Dan. Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Okay, so that, sorry, that was number five too. It was sort of one degree. So it's the idea of I'm going to have to live outside away from my family if I'm exposed to a dead person. They didn't know if he was dead. They didn't know if he was, uh, another of my dad's expressions, laying for him. You ever heard that term? Yeah. Okay. Didn't know if it might be laying for him. All right. I'm going to jump up and grab him by the neck. So one of the things that we've got to be clear about here, I think, is that we cannot know the motives of the priest and the Levite. Now, I'm going to use a word here. Don't get nervous about this word. You ready? The story, not the gospel. The story is fiction. This didn't happen. It's Jesus making up a story to prove a point. And he's not really going after. Uh, he, he makes this interesting reference about the priest and the Levite because he's trying to get to the point that the Samaritan was the real neighbor. Okay? Don't try, 
Don't try to give the priest and the Levite a pass, and don't make them the bad guy in the story. Their motive is not really talked about here. He just mentioned them in this fictional story. All right? So, does that, make, does that word fiction make you nervous? Sorry if it does. But it kind of is, so I'm just trying to caution you on placing a motive on the priest and the Levite. We just don't know that. And so, the hero in the story becomes an unlikely hero. He is what uh, you and I would have called, uh, what, no, what Cher would have called, uh, Alfred, okay, uh, you know that, remember that song? Uh, caused by the intermarriage of the Assyrians when they took over that area in, in the north, and the Israelites were there who intermarried with them. And so they were kind of hated. The Samaritans were hated by Jewish people. And by the way, it was, it was mutual. The Samaritans hated Jewish people too. The Jews hated Samaritans. You know, it's kind of worked both ways. And um, uh, what, what I want you to catch here is how unlikely this hero was. Okay? Now, why did he use oil and wine? That's interesting. Rhonda, I had to ask you a question this morning. You didn't know why I was asking the question. But in their day, he was giving him good medicine. All right? Brad, you and I in our Bible study studied a couple weeks ago about the end. I spent an inordinate amount of time on uh, James 5, 13 through 16, especially verse 14 where it talks about anointing with oil in the name of the Lord for the healing. And what we recognize, I think, is also pointed out here is that wine was used as an antiseptic, okay? Uh, watch any, any cowboy movie and they'll pour whiskey on something. Am I right? And a lot of people died of alcohol poisoning then too. Uh, don't know anything about that. But the, the wine was, was an astringent, it was an antiseptic. And the oil was, what was your word, Rhonda? It's an analgesic. It helped it feel better. It helped with the pain. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, so, so the Samaritan here is applying, okay, he's applying Bactine and Tylenol. Kind of the idea. He does this wonderful, these wonderful things here. And he provides a very expensive provision. I've read two different things, and I'm not sure exactly right, but could have been as much as um, two months stay at this inn. Imagine what two months at a B&B &B would cost. That's kind of the story. Provided for that and said, when I come back, if I owe you some, I'll, I'll make up the difference. And he left him enough money to do that. The provision was expensive. And so, John went ahead and read it a little bit ago. What you and I have got to careful, be careful about is the question then that Jesus shifts here as we close out here today. Jesus says uh, to him in, um, as he finishes the story, he says, so, which of these do you think was a neighbor. He shifts the responsibility. 
The man's question had been who, in verse 29, who's my neighbor? The master's question was very, very interesting. Notice how he can't, I, I believe this is true, he just can't bring himself to say the um, he can't say it. The one who showed him mercy. He, he literally, you got to catch it. He just can't, he can't even say the word. <laughs> it just hangs in his throat. <laughs> well, the lawyer was looking for a loophole. You know, sometimes, Mike, I want a lawyer to help me find a loophole. He's looking for a loophole. And Jesus says, instead, look for an opportunity. I want to give you three words as we close this out. You ready? Could Jesus possibly mean? This is a rhetorical question. Could Jesus possibly mean, here's your three words, that every single person is somebody that I need to strive to love. In the context of last, last week's lesson, I think so. If he's saying in Luke 6, love your enemies, then in this one he's saying, love your neighbor, and he's saying, be careful how you define neighbor. Um, I, I want to say to you, at, at, with a little bit of risk, I want to say to you, uh, use the uh, Mr. Rogers definition of neighbor. Okay? Every, you ready? Here's the three words again. Every single person. I've always wondered something about this, and, and the only thing that I can tell you for sure to be true about the answer to that question, I am aware, and I want you to be aware, that wherever you go today, certainly in our church services, but not just there, in your neighborhood, but not just there, in whatever restaurant you might go to today or wherever you're going to go, the grocery store, but not just there. You will never lock eyes. You will never survey. You will never see a person for whom Jesus did not die. Intentional double negative. You will never find one You'll never lock eyes with another person. You'll never see someone that Jesus didn't die for. Every single person. Guess where we're going next week? 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to keep learning how to love, okay? I'll see you here. Thank you. Have a great Sunday.